0: All right, so if you happen to have a Bible, if you want to open to Matthew 25, it will take me a little while to get there, but we will get there. Now, if you weren't here last week, uh, you missed out on our friend Dan leading some awesome worship. That was, that was really, really cool. He loved being a part of us um, and you know, kind of playing around with us. One of the things that he commented on that would be worthy of noting is, and let me give you a tiny little bit of background A couple of years ago, probably a year and a half from about a year and a half ago back, when we would have guests and friends come in and minister, um, and we always like to ask them, you know, what what do you pick up? What's the vibe? Because when you're immersed in it, you don't always you don't always feel what it's like when like you do when you come in from the outside. And one of the comments we were getting, particularly from you know the the spiritually perceptive people that we brought in, was they're just. You know, amazing people here. There's just this disconnection and this loneliness. And as you know, we've been really going um, really intentionally after this journey about family. And one of the things Dan said is, there's this amazing, great family feeling among the place. And I'm like, yes, victory. Yeah. Yeah. So, yay team, you know, that, that's all of us. Um, we, we've been working really hard and really intentionally to foster that. And we're not there yet. We're not done with that. We're, we're, we're keeping going. But that's just a really, really encouraging thing to hear when someone comes in from the outside and says, hey, this is one of the key things I felt. So, that's really, really cool. So, crack open to Matthew 25. If you weren't here last week, please have a listen to the podcast if you haven't already because I'm going to build on that this week and then... Um, Next week will be Easter, and we're not going to do a message as such. Um, The week after that, something will happen, and then the week after that, something also will happen. Um, Actually, coming up, Steve Frost, who is not here tonight. um, Steve Frost is going to be sharing a whole lot of stuff with us along this theme, and I'm going to set him up for that very, very shortly. And hopefully he he listens to the podcast too, so that he knows how I've set him up for this, even though we've talked about it much. So... um, where we, where we talked last week in particular was Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my ecclesia. And he used a word that was not in any of the spiritual lingo, lingo, lingo wasn't in any of the spiritual lingo of the people of the day, but it was in the secular lingo. And you know, if you had seen a, a parliament, a police station, yeah, a governing board over a school district or region, that was an, an ecclesia. And so Jesus picked up this term and co-opted it. And we often, I, and at least in my head, I've always had the emphasis on this verse of, yeah, I will build my church. Yeah, the emphasis on the word church. I'm starting to kind of, as I understand this word ecclesia and the concept around it, it's a little bit like... Um, when Americans come here, there's there's three things they don't need to teach us about. Beer, because American beer is horrible. Coffee, because it's mud. And ice cream. So, hey? And chocolate chocolate as well. Yeah, I I probably just avoided it over there, but it's all full of sugar over there. It, it, It is. It's terrible stuff. But if you can imagine, this illustration is literally made up on the spot. So, so work with me. I'm not quite sure if it's any good yet. But um, when you come to a place that is already excelling in something and it's already a part of the culture, you don't have to kind of set up what you're talking about because they know about it better than you. So when Jesus used this word ecclesia, he was speaking in a culture that knew that word. And so, where for me, the emphasis is always on be, I will build my church. When we understand that word as ecclesia, I reckon this is just my theory. I can't prove it, but this is my theory. It's like you, you've all seen the ecclesia out here. I'm going to build my ecclesia, and the gates of hell's not going to prevail against it. You, you see what I mean? See what I mean? In other words, he's using a, a term that was so common to them, but he says, I'm going to build my version of that. But what you see in that is kind of the concept let me infuse it with kingdom DNA, and then you've got the idea of what I'm building. Does that make sense? That's the concept of the ecclesia. So the concept is not we go to church, which we're used to. What time is church today? I am the church. We together are the church. And we as the church bring the kingdom where the gates of Hades are. Smashing. (laughs) That was perfectly timed, actually. That was really good because, you know, stuff's falling down. That wasn't the gates of hell there, was it? That was falling down. (laughs) Okay, that's all right. After a while, it might be like the gates of hell if you leave it too long. But anyway, um, it'll go rotten and festy and full of stuff. Okay, come back, Lord. All right. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't hear that on the podcast, was it cracked? The ultimate dad joke said it'll be the gates of smell. As to sing from the gates of hell, good rhyming slang, and oh that was that was good Whew. yep, okay so I want to look at a couple of things before we dive into matthew twenty five and we talked about one of the embryonic expressions of the ecclesia last week, which was the concept that the Greeks and the Romans had called the Conventus. And if you remember, the Conventus was, in Roman law, the Conventus meant that wherever two or three Roman citizens were gathered together, then the the power and the protection of the emperor of Rome was in their midst. So then in Matthew 18, when Jesus says, when two or three of you are gathered, I am there with you, he's actually, again, co-opting a secular concept with which they were very familiar And infusing it with kingdom DNA to say when you are in a place, you are in a culture, when two or three of you gather, I'm there in the midst and my kingdom, the power of my kingdom, the authority of my kingdom is in your midst. That's like the micro expression of the Ecclesia. Then we have the city expression. Where we see throughout the book of Acts, we see in Paul's letters to the churches, you know, to the church in Corinth, to the church in Philippi, to the church and so on. It's the citywide body. Making sense? There was that that expression. And then I want to suggest too that there is an assignment expression of the ecclesia as well. And that is where people who have a similar kingdom assignment gather together. And as they gather together, the authority that they carry in that sphere increases. Now, I want to draw a couple of things for you, and um, I'm going to uh, embark on a slightly technical little twist here, except that my cover has magnetized very cleverly to the, uh, to the whatever this thing's called. Stand. Yes, thank you. Yes, that thing. The what? The lectin. The lectin. Yeah, that'll do. That, that works. Okay, there it is. Now, I'm just going to drag that up a little because it's sitting down a bit further than I want. All right. Ah, clever move. There we go. Thanks for your support there, buddy. All right. Now, how many of you have heard of the concept of the seven mountains of influence? Anyone even remotely familiar with that? All right. Let me play this out. Uh, let's pick that one. All right. So we have... I'm going to take that off there because for some reason the magnetic thing on there makes it... You can see that? Yes, good. One, two, three, four. Very funny. Five, six, seven. Now, what, what are the mountains? Now, but let, let me step back a second. The concept of the seven mountains, this, this began with Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham. In really simple terms, God had spoken to both of them. Separately, these two had never met each other. So Bill Bright was the head of Campus Crusade for Christ. Lauren Cunningham was the head of Youth with a Mission. So the two heads of two of the biggest youth evangelism organisations in the world. And they finally, after 10, 20 years, got to meet together. And Josh, do you mind just pulling that door for me? Thank you. Um, they were finally getting together and meeting each other. And so they stopped and both of them separately without knowing, stopped and, stopped and said to God, actually, Kel, do you want to do the trick to make sure that they can get back in? Yes. Thanks. Otherwise, it's very rude of me to shut everyone out. Um, they both said to God, okay, God, what have you got for the other person? I want, to have, I want to have a word to encourage them. And both of them separately, without knowing it, one scribbled it on a piece of paper, the other scribbled it like on a, on a napkin, serviette. Um, and God said to them, if you want to gain the halves, he said, there are seven world kingdoms or seven mind-moulders of modern society. Entre vous, <laughs> s'il vous plaît. Yeah, that will, that will do the trick too. Thank you. There's no food on it. (laughs) You just whipped one of those out of your pocket, didn't you? (laughs) Um, And they said, and both of them, God spoke to both of them and said, if you can capture these seven areas of society, these are the areas of society that mould the minds of the people that disciple the nations, and if you can capture these, you will usher in the kingdom of God. And one called them the seven mountains, the other called it the seven mind moulders. They got together and um, as they're talking, they said, oh, God gave me this thing for you and he draws it out. And then the other one goes, you know, pulls the napkin out and goes, that looks a whole lot like this. And they had this kind of holy moment where they realized God had set them both up with something really, really significant. If you've heard anything from Lance Walno, Lance Walno is probably one of the most prominent teachers that's picked up this concept and taught really, really deep into it. Um, The seven mountains, we have, let me zoom in a little, business I'm going to do that as bus. Business. We have government. Now government includes you know, our parliament, our elected officials, but it also includes anything to do with law and the enforcement of law. So our judicial system, our police system, all of that is included in government. There's edu- education. Now edu- the education system is moulding the minds of a generation right now. Powerfully so. I'll say more on that in a moment. Um, education, family, obviously family is the cradle of society and as goes the family, goes so, so goes society. Media, now media doesn't, if we understand media, it's not just reporting current events, it's reporting current events through a worldview. So you watch different news networks around the world and you'll get a very different message on exactly the same story. If you want to get a different view on exactly the same event in American politics, watch CNN and then watch Fox News. And you'll be shocked. Are they actually reporting the same event? They're, whoa, polls apart. But the idea is media reports on events through a worldview so that you interpret the world through a particular lens or ideology. That's the idea of media. We have arts and entertainment which includes the creative arts, it includes Hollywood, it includes sport, it's often called the Sabbath mountain because it's where people go to chill, to rest, to refresh, to have fun. And then we have the mountain of spirituality. I'm just going to do SP for the sake of it. So there we have business, government, education, family, media, arts, spirituality. And because I include spirituality because Buddhism and Hindu and Islam and all of those are included in the mountain of spirituality. Now, I'm going to copy that. Let's see if I can manage this without absolutely messing it up. And then I'm going to paste another one down here. Come on, work for me. Yeah, baby. There we go. Let's make it bigger. All right. The typical view is that the church is this mountain, that the mountain is actually called the church. That is is often the the typical view. It's like, well, I'm called to the church mountain. And so church sits over here as this separate mountain, separate to the others, where maybe hopefully the church mountain might influence, you know, all the rest here. I want to suggest when we understand the ecclesia that that is a bubkis concept that the church isn't a separate mountain. I'm either in the church mountain or the business mountain. It, it, it looks a little different. Are we with me? I'm not talking Greek or Italian or Spanish or something. We're, we're all, okay. Oh, right? Bubkus is a Greek word. Yeah, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> I want to suggest that the ecclesia actually sits underneath the whole system. And the idea of the Ecclesia is that we, as the Ecclesia, go in to each of these mountains and begin discipling those mountains and shifting the cultures toward the culture of the kingdom. We making sense? The danger of this philosophy is we separate church as this separate, different thing. That really, when we do it, all we're doing is reproducing the temple or synagogue mindset of church that was prevalent in the time of Jesus. And if that, the, if that was the view of church that he wanted to have, he would have used temple or synagogue-like terms where, as I said last week, you turn up at a specific place at a specific time to a specific event, do your spiritual thing, and then you go back to the rest of your life. Even that concept was foreign to the Jew anyway, but we won't go into that right now. Um, But he used a completely different concept and he said, no, I will build my ecclesia. And the ecclesia, if, if you follow how it went in the book of Acts, and most of us would have read the book of Acts at some point in time, you'll understand that the concept that was birthed on the day of Pentecost actually turned the known world completely upside down. Like if you were to do, you know how churches do stats on growth and conversions and all of that kind of stuff. If you were to do the stats on what happened in cities in the book of Acts as a result of the church being birthed in those cities, there is nearly nothing in the modern day that would come anywhere close. There was something that they knew about what Jesus had said in in terms of, I will build my ecclesia. They did it so differently to what we do. And I want to suggest we need to recover the blueprint of what that looks like. What I want to paint for the short amount of time that we have left is a bit of a picture of What is the agenda of Jesus through the Ecclesia? What what does it look like if we're actually doing our job? Because it looks like a whole lot more than having good meetings once a week and maybe some home groups and an awesome men's breakfast. I mean, Jesus was there on that one. There's no question about that. The altar of sacrifice. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. The sacrifice, the burnt offerings, the temple was filled with smoke. It was all wonderful. The fruit of the Spirit was present for a short time before I chucked it over this. <laughs> um, so the ecclesia exists in, as we said, there's in conventus form, if you like. So, bubbles, yeah. These are in small form. We've got the, the Ecclesia, which is like the church of the city, which is the major form. We've got these small conventus-like forms. Now, there's a whole lot of us that have been meeting in you know, little groups of three, four during the week. How many of you are involved in stuff like that? You know, whether you're guys, girls, there's a whole lot of us. That, that's your conventus type. That's your small expression. It, it's the broken up, small, intimate expression, which is really where the kingdom really happens, because if, if, if you and I can't relate, the kingdom's not there. You know, the kingdom shows up here. John says, if you think you've got something going on this way with God and it's not showing up here, we're kidding ourselves. So making the place small, making microchurch, conventus church, if you like, is part of us growing in the kingdom, learning to do heart journey together, growing together. But I want to suggest too that as the ecclesia, and I'm going to give you some examples of this shortly, that within each of the mountains, there are expressions of the Ecclesia that happen as we go into each of these mountains, where we gather together, and these people up here may not be necessarily the same people that gather, and, you know... When you pull from the left, it brings out your note, and then when you touch it again, it selects that note, and so I should know better than to draw from the left-hand side. When... When we get together at this level, it may or may not be the same people that we gather together here, but it's still church. It is still the church gathering. And as we gather in these mountains, the laws, the principles, the protection of the king, the emperor, so to speak, is in our midst. And remember that Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the ecclesia. He didn't say it wouldn't prevail against the individual. It's against the body. It, the, the gates of Hades will not prevail against the body that is gathered. Are we making sense? Yeah. So the Ecclesia, that's, that's quite a mess, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you, you get the idea? Stop drawing. Stop drawing now? Okay, all right. Let me summarize. So there are three expressions of the Ecclesia. There's the citywide expression, which is got, like this would be the equivalent of that. It's the big church expression. There's the small church expression where we gather, we do heart journey, we connect. That's the conventist kind. Then there's the assignment kind. As we go out into the world, because only maybe 3% of the entire Christian population are called to spend the entirety of their vocational life within the church organisation, which means 97% of us are actually called out here. And for, for almost centuries... The view has been the only valid call is in this mountain, which they called the church, not understanding it's actually spirituality because there's a lot of ground we need to take in the spiritual mountain. But actually 97% of us are called here to actually go out and to permeate society and to bring the culture of heaven into those mountains. Making sense so far? All right. Let me flick that off, excellent, and now let's come back there, yes, thank you for the tray Uncle Wazza, he is the uncle to my children which is why he got the word (laughs) uncle just then, if you're wondering why uncle? Now, last week, I was talking for a moment about the concept of adopting a city. And I said, I'm going to give some examples of what this Ecclesia looks like outside of a typical concept like this and out in a business, for example. Ed Silvoso, um, who's one of my all-time heroes of the kingdom... Um, If you've never read any of his stuff, seriously, you'll do yourself a favour. He's got four key books um, and they are, they're world changers. And this is a guy who has personally been involved with the literal transformation of whole cities. So I think he has something to say that that is worth listening to. Um, This story is a lady in China. I'll just read it. Um, She dedicated her factory in China to the Lord and embraced her call to pastor, in inverted commas, this congregation of unsaved workers. Since traditional preaching was not an easy option in the light of the restrictive communist environment, I instructed her to build a much larger than average Jesus chair. It's a literal chair, but it's called the Jesus chair. Painting it shiny white to draw attention to it and place it in the factory dining hall. There at the chair, workers could seek Jesus' favour for personal needs. This suggestion was inspired by the time the writer, Ed, was a young CEO in a corporation greatly affected by systemic corruption. With no mentors to guide me, I would close my office door and when I didn't know what to do, I would kneel before a red chair that I'd set aside exclusively for Jesus, hence the name Jesus there, chair, and I would listen to his guidance. A year later, we heard that thousands of Chinese workers raised under atheism had come to Jesus as a result of him having answered the petitions they presented at the Jesus chair the businesswoman had set up. This was complicated, in inverted commas, by the fact that the traditional church was not able, and sadly in this case, not even motivated to incorporate these unusually born, born born-again believers. In other words, the established church there weren't really interested in having these people that had met Jesus in the workplace come to their church. This factory, as well as similar cases in other parts of the world, smelled like a church, talked like a church, and walked like a church, but no one had yet dared call it a church. So um, I have a, a good friend of mine named Dave. He's, um, he lives in Reading um, and is a part of Bethel. He's a business guy. Um, He's also an extremely brilliant coach and we try and connect as regularly as we can over Skype and I always have my recording device there because there is always something profoundly prophetic that comes out of it and I always want to make sure I capture it. He, um, along with Andy Mason, who some of you have met, um, is a friend of mine who looks after Heaven in Business in Reading. They've been involved with a car dealership in Colorado and I'm not going to get... Any of the stories, nearly accurate. I'm just going to give you the concept. One day, Dave was there, and I think he was doing, in some way, involved with the business, but they're involved with these guys because they're spirit-filled Christians. Someone turns up at the car dealership and just says, I knew that if I came to the car dealership, I'd be able to get prayer and I'd get breakthrough. (laughs) In other words, this car dealership had become so infused with the kingdom intentionally, that people would turn up there like you would typically find them turning up to a church because they get prayer, they get breakthrough, they'd get healing, they'd get deliverance, all at the car dealership. Now, let me read you another story. Um, and this is in a place called Vallejo. Is that how you pronounce it? Anyone got any South American? V-A-L-L-E-J-O. l e j o Vallejo. Vallejo. That's German. I love German. <laughs> Seriously, when we get to heaven, we're all going to speak German. <laughs> Jawohl! You will have joy, yeah! Love it. Anyway, back to the point. Shoot that rabbit. So this is the city of Vallejo in California. So this is very much in the Western world, and this city had essentially been declared bankrupt. And this guy called Michael Brown, he was the owner of a business called Michael's Transportation Services. Yeah, it's not even a particularly funky brand that you could go, "Yeah, maybe that's a front for a church, yeah, or a cool kingdom on." It's just Michael's Transportation Services. He was introduced to some of these concepts and he was he'd been continually talking to God and saying, "You know, what I do every day as a businessman, does it really matter?" Yeah, he's a a trucking logistics kind of company. He heard some of this teaching on the Ecclesia. And as a result, long story short, he says, God became chairman of the board. Jesus became CEO and the Holy Spirit became my legal counsel. And I became a good steward over God's work. Let me read. These steps of faith became the cradle into which the coalition known as Transformation Vallejo was born. To pastor the hurting city, its marketplace uh, its marketplace and pulpit ministers charted a course to bring together church, business, government and education in a thrust centred on prayer evangelism. In a country where African-American males constitute the highest percentage of students who fail to graduate, a program was launched that focused on these young men, not inside a church building, but at people's high school. It was called the Emerging Gentleman's Program. It nurtured positive character qualities and social skills. Transformation Vallejo also provided resources for the school's basketball teams. That's God right there. <laughs> it's a great game. With the impact on students along the way. Um, Tammy was one of them. Mr. Brown made me an offer that he would employ me if I stayed in school and graduated. So this is Michael Brown, the owner of the company. And um, he said, I did, I became valedictorian and now I work at Michael's Transportation. So if you understand, one of the biggest breakers of generational cycles of poverty is people getting an education. And so this kid was was in a generational cycle of poverty and this guy, because he owned a business where he could employ this person, said, hey, if you get through school, if you graduate, I'll guarantee you a job. Ends up being valedictorian, which is the American word for like ducks, you know, the top-scoring person, and gets a job. Um, These are the words of, his name's Bishop, but he's not actually a bishop. He's the superintendent of the school district. He said, if one of our schools needs something, we know that Pastor Summers, this is the church pastor, and Michael's Transportation and Mr. Brown, who's the CEO, always respond yeah, so so this, this transportation business has become so infused with the kingdom, it is essentially a vehicle for the kingdom of God recognized by the secular authorities in that city. First in Michael's Transportation Service headquarters and then later in the expanding circle, people experienced God's power in the form of miracles. One of the beneficiaries was a troubled young man who was also fighting an incurable disease, making him hopeless and more despondent with every day that passed. This is that guy's talk. He said, I'd given up on the church and I didn't know at that time that Michael's Transportation was a ministry, a business ministry. As I started to go there, Michael would tell me, look, come over here every day if you need to. Just sit here and we're going to pray for you. And that's exactly what they did. The ecclesia at Michael's transportation prayed and God healed him. The young man did not find the ecclesia. The ecclesia found him. And this is a business. This is a trucking logistics kind of business. This is what can happen when the ecclesia starts to gather in the mountain of business. Um, one of my friends, um, his name's David Bellestri I'm hoping to have him speak here sometime in the next few months. Um, he is the executive pastor at Mark and Darlene Chex Church up on the Central Coast. Hope, hope, hope something. You see. Hope you see, that's the one, thank you. Um, and he's a marketplace guy. He and I do very similar things out in the marketplace and they actually have a school where, in their church where they train entrepreneurs. They were given a, a grant, a whole lot of money to open some form of education. And they're like, do we start a Bible college? And God says them, no, don't start a Bible college. I want you to start an entrepreneur's training centre where you train up in kingdom entrepreneurs. Um, David's brother, incidentally, how many of you have seen the Netflix documentary Tattoo Tales or Bondi Inc.? It's about the tattoo parlour. Any of you have seen that? It's like two of you. If you haven't, it's really interesting. So David's brother is John, the Christian tattoo artist. So he's in Bondi... He's on Netflix, Bondi Inc is the name, and it was picked, I think that was on ABC and then Netflix picked up the show and it's Tattoo Tales or something like that. Anyway, one of the most famous tattoo parlours in the country is in Bondi, opposite the beach on that main strip of shops, and if you know anything about the tattoo industry, typically it's a front for bikies and drugs, and the only way to get into that industry when you do an apprenticeship as a tattoo artist is you run the drugs and you take some money from running the drugs because they don't pay you as an apprentice. That's basically the way that the industry works. Um, But he's a Christian and felt like God was calling him into the tattoo industry. Go figure. It's like, yeah, God's calling me into this criminal enterprise. Um, Long story short, after lots of conversations with his brother, with his parents, because he's married with a couple of kids, his parents said, "We we will look after you and fund you for two years while you do the apprenticeship until you get on your feet. And the guy at the desk, uh, at the, the desk of the reception yeah, at this Bondi tattoo, tattoo parlour is um, a militant, expressive gay guy. And at one point in the documentary, he is asked about John, who's David, my friend's brother, and yeah, what, what's it like having a Christian in the parlour? And, and, the, and the guy, I think his name is Josh, sorry, <laughs> he says, oh, you mean John? Um, Because he was kind of like, what do you mean by the Christian guy? Um, Because he talked very openly about his faith on this particular show. And he goes, you know, if every Christian was like John, I'd go to church. (laughs) And so John ends up inadvertently, that that show has been seen by over 100 million people. And he gets to share the gospel by being called into this criminal industry. Now, (laughs) did Most of the church would rebuke that idea in the name of Jesus and say, no, that has to be the devil's voice. No, God could not be calling you into that. And, um, but no. Now, I have much more to say on that. But you cannot bear it right now. Okay. When the Ecclesia starts to gather inside the mountains and starts to see that as much of a call as any preacher that preaches in any church and starts to say, God, would you be CEO of my business? Would you be chairman of the board? Would you be, you know, would you be my PR agent if you're you know, in the media or the arts mountain or whatever it is? Stuff starts to happen. So Michael's transportation service was key in turning that city around. There's another story, and probably in a couple of weeks I'll, I'll just show you the video, it's easy. Uh, it's way easier than that, because there's a documentary being shot about it. And um, it's a city um, just on the other side of the Texan border in Mexico called Ciudad Juarez. Um, it was pretty much known as the murder capital of the world. And one particular pastor, and I can't even remember his name, I think his name's Poncho. Yeah, you know, like Poncho. It's South America, <laughs> Um, he um, he saw what was going on in his city. And, and the city was the murder capital because two rival drug gangs ended up fighting each other in that city and literally people couldn't go out of their houses. Um, police were getting killed left, right and centre. It was known as the murder capital of the world. And you remember last week I said when... when uh, A human is fatherless, bad things happen. When a city is fatherless, bad things happen. And this pastor and one other guy went up to a high place in the city and looked over and said, you are no longer fatherless, I'm adopting you in the name of Jesus and started to pray as God led him over his city. Like I said, I'll show the video of the story, but long story short, one of the the key drug lords ends up getting saved um, in somewhat dramatic fashion and the city has completely turned around. This this is between 2010 and 2012, this happened, so this is pretty recent. Um, And the transformation has been written about, like in the New York Times, in the LA Times, they leave out some of the God bits, but when you, I'm happy to show you the articles um, from New York Times and LA Times, but then you can see the story that sits underneath it of what actually happened to bring about the transformation. It was a total God story, but it was... The ecclesia, understanding what their role wasn't just to run spiritual services and spiritual events and activities, but they they needed to adopt their city. They adopted their city and said, you will not be a fatherless city anymore. And they fathered their city into transformation. When the ecclesia gets a spirit of adoption on it, something incredibly powerful happens. More on that in just a second. Okay, Matthew 25. I said I was going there. Let's go there right now. Matthew 25 verse 31, this will be a familiar story to many, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, I'm going to pick up the rest in just a moment. Now, I read that from the NIV. and verse 32, it says, all the nations will be gathered and he will separate the people one from another. Those words, the people, are not in the original. That is, um, that is a, a translator's interpretation to try and make sense of the sentence. But the word the people isn't there. Why, why is that important? Because he's not separating people as sheep and goats. He's actually separating nations as sheep and goats. Because it says all the nations will be gathered before him and the original says, and he will separate them one from another. What's the them? It's the nations that have gathered. Mm -hmm. Now, you remember last week, I talked in Revelation about nations being presented, uh, a procession of kings presenting their nation as a gift to Jesus at the end time. They're the sheep nations. So what Jesus is after with the body because remember, we read that, that passage in Revelation 21 through that this was the wife of the bride and the result of the wife of the bride was this procession of nations being marched before Jesus and presented to Jesus as his end time harvest gift. The sheep and the goats is this separation, not of people, but of nations. So when Jesus in Matthew 28 gives the great commission and he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations because of interpretations like putting the word the people in there, we've always interpreted that go into all nations and make disciples of people in the nations. But it's not what it says. It actually says make disciples of the nations. In other words, we are meant to, the great commission is to disciple a nation or to disciple nations into the kingdom so that they become sheep nations and not goat nations. Now, why is this important? This fits with where we're going, but also we've got an election coming up. On May the 18th, and right now, I want to suggest we are in a key, um, a key period of time where what we decide right now is going to have ramifications for quite some time to come. And the battle is, there is an ideological battle that's happening that's, that's incredibly significant. Ultimately, what the battle is, is will Australia be a sheep nation or a goat nation? The enemy wants it to be a goat nation. But the prophetic word over this country is we're the great south land of the Holy Spirit. But that's what the fight is over right now. That's where the tension is. And there there are a number of nations, America being one of them, that is right in the middle of this tension and this battle right now and this ideological warfare. Islam right now is discipling at least six nations. The Christian church, zero. Nothing. Big fat nutter socialism is discipling more nations than Christianity is right now. And that is one of the biggest, and I know I'm throwing a can out there and risk all sorts of interesting backlash, but what the hell? (laughs) Although what I'm about to say shortly may may seem to come against it, but work with me. Right now in the US, some 46% of university professors are Marxists. They're socialists. And they're very deliberately, and if you don't understand socialism and Karl Marx, let's have a conversation about that later. But it's basically where the government ends up controlling the entire means of production. Uh, There is zero freedom, and literally hundreds of millions of people have died under socialist regimes throughout history. It's not a happy place. But it sounds really compassionate. Let's make everybody equal. More on, that's probably worthy of a whole other discussion because there's a whole can of worms I've realised. I'm just opening up right now and there's no way of getting the lid back on that thing. So Matt, let, let's, let's have another discussion on that perhaps. But quite literally, over 10 to 20 years, this ideology has made its way into our academic institutions such that now your average student coming out of university has a more socialist worldview than kingdom. They've been really smart about what they're doing. Really, really, really smart. The whole um, agenda around gender, that's been a 30 to 40 year battle that they've been working their way into the academic world. If you want to understand, I'll put it away. If you want to understand how this works in a really pragmatic sense, let me go here. So... We want to change the mindset of a whole nation, a whole society, maybe even the whole of Western society around a particular area like gender. So we want to to hit this mountain. But how do we hit this mountain? Well, what we do is we get some academics in the education mountain to start to do some form of academic study. Now, typically, it's going to have some form of bias in it, but when you get enough people in the academic institutions who are doing the peer reviews, all of them have got the same bias. So everyone's saying, yeah, that's perfect. That, that research really stands up. We then get business people who are on the same wavelength, who then who fund the research in the education mountain, who then put out a press release to the media mountain, and get the media talking about it, and they do this enough so that, such that eventually they influence government policy, and then if we want to get really socialist, the government starts to tell you how you're to raise your family. So in Canada right now... I'm getting started on something. This could be dangerous. In Canada right now, a parent who wants to in any way talk to their child around gender issues in a way that says anything other than the, chi- the child can be the gender it chooses can actually be fined and in some cases have their kids taken off them? It is. It is is an actual real thing. I kid you not. Now, there's many... The church hasn't done itself any favours in the gender debate at all. I think we've been really unwise around that um, and have been really unloving in the way that we've gone about stuff like that. And I think some of where we've got to is our own doing. But when we get to a place where the government can now tell us what any family can or can't say, that is a bad place. That is a really, really bad place. But this is where we're heading. This is the sort of battle that's going on in our nation right now. So when we come to vote, we need to understand what are the ideologies going on underneath. We can't just get sucked into the populist personality politics of you know, who, who can make a better argument here. We've got to understand what's going on underneath. Because our nation is hanging in the balance in an ideological warfare of the kingdom versus a whole lot of other worldviews that are going to restrict, take away your freedom, and are going to disciple our kids in a mindset that is not the kingdom. Safe schools. That is anything but safe. But it's made its way into the education mountain. And if we had different governments than what we currently have in place, that would be rife in our schools and any school would be forced that you have to teach that. That's, that's where it's going. And then we have really rich business people who fund that. Now, on the good side, yeah, you have someone like Bill Gates. Bill Gates has obviously got to, you know, here's the top of the business mountain and Bill Gates is somewhere way up there. <laughs> yeah, this guy is worth more than the entire GDP of New Zealand. This guy could buy a whole country in cash. (laughs) There's a joke that says, um, yeah, Bill Gates is going to the bank and and someone says to Bill, oh, why are you going to the bank? And Bill says, oh, about a loan. And they say, oh, you're getting a loan, are you? He goes, no, the bank is. (laughs) Anyway, that's unrelated to what I'm saying. But (laughs) this guy is that rich, but if... But how does he choose to use his money? He is running programs to eliminate diseases off the face of the earth that he could never do under a system that says we must control you because it is not right that anyone earns that amount of money. Um, Therefore, we as the government must control you. I am so far off track. Help me come back. (sighs) Whereas in the US... There is one one Jewish businessman named George Soros that is funding the entire campaign for the Democratic Party that is trying to change the gender stuff around, that's trying to make America a much more socialist nation. Um, One one multi-billionaire is funding the entire thing. Um, This guy actually paid... Yeah, no, I'm going to pull out of that statement just because this is being recorded. So... (laughs) Later. Ask me later, I'm happy to tell you. Okay. (laughs) but all of these mountains work together what I was trying to share all of these mountains work together to disciple the way that we think and anyone coming out of university right now I can almost guarantee unless they've been really well discipled in the kingdom worldview, is coming out with a very socialist mindset now the good side of that is they're going to be very very compassionate and I love that and I'm going to talk about and that's where I'm going to land in just a second and I am going to land in just a second (laughs) It's going to be a rough landing, but we're going, to get, we're going to get this thing on the ground. But this fight is over sheep and goat nations, and we have to look deep and see what is happening. Now, let me, we got that bit? And this is our job as the ecclesia. Remember, the ecclesia is a governing body that gets to legislate in the heavenly realms and decide what comes and goes in our nation. And ideologies have spiritual forces attached to them that empower them. I have much more to say about that. Okay. Now, let me read the, the latter part of Matthew 25. So that was all coming out of the sheep and goat nation stuff. Now, one of the characteristics of the goat nations, picking up from verse 35, was this. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Sorry, the sheep nations were this. Sheep nations, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothes you? And he said, "Uh, when did we see you sick or in prison and. Go visit you. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on on his left, the goat nations, depart from me who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not look after me. Um, They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, a stranger, needing clothes, sick, present, and did not help you? And he said, truly, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, um, but the righteous to eternal life. Here's the thing. One of the key characteristics of sheep versus goat, of kingdom ideology versus worldly ideology, was what did you do with the poor? What did you do with the least? What did you do to fix the real problems in society? And this is where anyone who has a slightly socialist bent is going, oh, he's on my side now. (laughs) Because in that, there is this deep compassion that says we must fix this. I think the way they decide to fix it is fundamentally broken and not kingdom. But the heart that says there can't be poor in our city, there can't be brokenness in our city, our city will not become the murder capital of the world, we will adopt it. That is the heart of this. Now, let me read you one more story, and then the wheels are coming down. We're approaching. The flaps are up. Miles and Joyce Kawakami in Hawaii became pioneering examples of this new understanding when Miles responded to the Lord's request for half of his business. Having the Lord as his senior business partner made conceptual sense to Miles and even more so since his accountant had advised him that this particular year would end in a deficit. With the Lord in the partnership, the, project, the projected debt miraculously turned into a surplus and Miles began sowing the Lord's 51% into meeting the felt needs of their island, Maui. Under Joyce's inspiring leadership, Feed My Sheep, that was the name of the organisation, was born. It was a non-profit agency dedicated to addressing the needs of people living below the poverty level. Beginning with hunger, Feed My Sheep started meeting those needs which eventually led to the salvation of many in the marketplace. With a user base of over 9,500 people, the agency provides over 100,000 meals every month, which has practically made the island of Maui a hunger-free zone because of these marketplace ministers." That's the ecclesia in action, where I'm going to adopt my city, or in their case, I'm going to adopt my island. But I'm going to say to God, whatever my realm of my business, my work, my occupation, God, here it is. Take it. It is yours. Use it as a vehicle for your kingdom. Rather than, well, I just come to church, and the church should do something about that. Well, no, I am the church. We are the church. And the calls on every single one of us are going to involve going into those mountains and discipling those mountains in the way of the kingdom. The Great Commission, when Jesus said, go into all the world and disciple all nations, and he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know he's still talking about nations? Because again, we've thought about people in nations, but he's actually talking about baptizing a nation. Because the them is the, going to all nations the world, go into all the nations, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because interestingly, that's the only time you see the baptismal formula being in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every other time in the book of Acts, you see them baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. I don't have a problem with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I use it. They're all awesome. But it's a different deal. And the baptizing, because he says, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, in other words, the great commission is a teaching commission. Disciple them, mold their minds in the way of the kingdom. Mold the minds of the nations in the way of the kingdom such that they become sheep nations with the end result that they are, pre- they are processioned before Jesus on the final day and bought as a gift to him at the end of all time. This is a little more than just doing church on a Sunday. Yeah? This is what we are born again for. This is what the Ecclesia is now beginning to look like. What I've asked Frosty to speak in, in, in a couple of weeks is to go more into the, I was hungry, you fed me. I was, and he carries an incredible anointing for meeting the needs of broken people and people who can't um, do that for themselves. And he does it in, a, in an incredibly practical way through his legal practice, which is off the chart phenomenal. Um, and so I want us to get some of what he's carrying in that all over us. And then let's see what God wants to do. I need to stop, so let's stand. Maybe I'll just keep talking. If you're through, just go. <laughs> I'll feel a whole lot better if I get this out of my system. All right. Last week, we did a really important thing, which was getting ourselves reconciled with the bride. And that is, that is such an important deal because it's almost like we have to reconcile with what is so that we can move into what needs to be. Otherwise, what needs to be will always be fueled with this kind of rebellious thing that is, that, that is just not kingdom because we're, we're creating this because we so don't like that. We need to get reconciled with that so that we can build this in purity. When we started I-61, one of the things God said to us is you're not to look to any other model to build this. In other words, basically you guys are the blueprint, go. (laughs) Don't try and build something that someone's built before. And it has been a journey of years, and it's a continuing unfolding journey of years to discover what that blueprint looks like. But I feel we're hitting another key acceleration point of discovering who we really are and what what Jesus is wanting to build through this ecclesia. It's not going to be normal you up for it all right so Jesus help us (laughs) we again just want to place ourselves at your feet and just like those those CEOs and business owners said come and be CEO we just declare that you you are the senior pastor of this church Jesus That you are the head of the church and we place ourselves in your hands because there's so much more than just turning up to church every Sunday. There, there, are call, there are passions, there are giftings, there are creative stuff brewing in all of us that is longing for expression. But there are people who are hungry, whether in the natural or hungry um, in the soul and the spirit for what we carry. And just like those businesses adopted their city, just like that pastor adopted his city, Jesus, we want to invite you to release the spirit of adoption upon us, that we would have adoptive love towards our city, that we would have adoptive love toward our nation, that, that we would have an unusual grace and authority to pray for our nation. Ooh, Yeah. Yeah, we would have an unusual grace and authority to pray for our nation, for our region. We invite your voice, Father, to be speaking to us, just like you spoke to that business owner and said, I want half your business. To another one, you just said, let me be the CEO, the chairman of the board. To another, you just gave a strategy that said, here, have the Jesus chair and invite him in. We don't want to presume what your strategy is, Jesus, but we want to say, speak to us. Speak to each of us. And then would you supernaturally connect us as you have been, not only in in the, the conventer sense of us gathering together and doing heart and growing and building and growing in maturity together, but would you also divinely connect us with people with a similar assignment in a similar mountain? Because we want to see this great south land of the Holy Spirit be a sheep nation. And right now where there is a a key um, decision point that could affect us for generations. We say, Jesus, we choose you. And we ask you to use us to be a part of your end time plan for this nation. We pray for our elections coming up, Father. We pray your kingdom come and your will be done in this election in the name of Jesus. Yeah, have your way in us, God. Have your way. Speak to us and grow us as your ecclesia, the ecclesia that you intended when you said that. In Jesus' name, amen.